Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, we have another installment of Winning the Job. This series is dedicated toward interviewing people who have recently had audition success and trying to find out what made them so successful. This episode will feature Tom Fleming. Tom is the second bassoonist with the Dallas Symphony Orchestra. Tom and I actually went to the National Orchestral Institute Summer Festival in Maryland in 2010, so it was kind of crazy to connect with him almost 10 years later in this capacity. We began his interview with me asking Tom how he prepared the excerpts technically. Let's see what he said. Oh, sure. I can definitely get started there. I, I, I like to start usually around six weeks out, not any more than that, um, because I, I find that the excerpts can get kind of uh, stagnant if I spend much more than that amount of time getting ready for something, one pinnacle event. So basically six weeks out, I want to create three different lists. A, B, and C. A are excerpts that I've played well for years and feel like I could spend one practice session on and play them close to my best possible level. B is like I have some familiarity. Maybe it's excerpts that I've already played in other auditions but felt like I could have played a little better, um, but certainly not stuff that I've, you know, I'm going to have major issues with. And then so all the C excerpts are stuff that I feel like I still have major issues with that I've played in the past or excerpts that I haven't seen completely at all. So I want to make a very clear list of where these groups of excerpts are and maybe some notes about each of them. And I want to have that wrapped up by the end of the sixth week out. So hopefully the idea is by the third week or second week out, all of those excerpts will become a excerpts at that point, and that list will will shift as I work through the list daily. The next thing that I start doing about four weeks before is, for better or worse, I want to record the entire list every single day from beginning wow. to end if it's 30 minutes or less. And this is something that I started doing this last spring, so about Three or four months before I won Dallas, I started doing this effort. And it was, um, I think I'd heard other people who had done that before, but I'd never like been like, all right, I'm actually just going to do that. Like four weeks out, the entire list, every day. Now, within reason, and I haven't put this into effect in more than about two auditions, but this list was for Dallas was around 30 minutes beginning to end. I think that's reasonable to be able to run that. That's shorter than most recitals. Physically, you're going to be able to do that, and it's certainly going to be more difficult than anything you have to do in the actual audition to right. run it from beginning to end. I, I think there was one audition that I, I did where I, in the final round, I literally played the entire list, and that was, um, I think that was for, for Charleston a number of years ago. But yeah, so that four weeks out, doing that every day. Now, of course, hopefully. You know, I said by week two, I want to have everything on the A list. So four weeks out, that might not be the case. So I'm only going to do that once. And the rest of my day of practice will be spent going back and practicing things slowly and analyzing what the issues are from listening to previous recordings from previous days so that I have kind of a method for 
the other end of my practice sessions on, on the days that I start doing runs. I think it's really important also when you get into that mock audition period, let's say maybe three weeks out, like you've had a week of doing your daily runs and you're getting more comfortable, to reach out to as many people that play your instrument and don't play your instrument and have mock auditions. One-on-one groups of people, we did a lot of mock auditions at New World where we actually put up a screen and had a, a panel of our peers and they would write on comment sheets and have the scores in front of them. That was extremely useful because you could look at things that people said that were the same. And it was just really obviously, I have to fix that because eight out of eight people said that was an issue. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not arbitrary at that point where it's like one person said, well, he, he dragged a little bit in Bolero there. And another person said, Bolero, perfect rhythm. Like, you know, I mean, these things can drive you insane. If you take too much to heart, like what one person says at a time. But that being said, play for as many people, or I have played for as many people as I can, leading up to about a week before the audition. And specifically, if you can play for people that play your instrument that have been doing really well in auditions right now, that's going to be very valuable information for you. And people might feel more or less comfortable doing that, depending on whether they're taking this audition. Uh, I mean, you can feel that out and certainly finding people that are willing to share given those circumstances. And I certainly have gained from that specifically, and it's made a, a tremendous impact on me. I'm always interested in finding out how people develop their audition preparation. It seems like although everyone does things a little bit differently, there are always some similarities among successful audition preparations. I asked Tom how long it took him to develop his plan and if he learned it from a teacher or if he made it up himself or how he came to this style of organization. I, I want to say that I've heard the six-week plan from like many people. Maybe not that exactly, but that's what I've arrived at. I've taken about 60 auditions in my audition career at this point. Um, so for me, it's become, I mean, I've definitely heard a plan close to this from quite a few different people. So I've wanted to implement this into every audition I've taken, I'd say for the last decade. Um, I've been taking auditions for about 12 years. So, and, and I had success actually from my very first audition. I, I passed in that and I was runner up in the second audition. And then there was um, a period of lulls and ups and downs as you know, anybody who's been on the audition trail knows all about that. Um, and I'm not one of these auditioners who, you know, won one of the first five jobs and just got out of Curtis and all of that. So, yeah, the closer I've come to actually subscribing to this six-week plan, the better results I've had, especially, like I said before, when I implemented playing the list through every day leading up four weeks before that, that made a tremendous difference and it just really made me feel invincible on the day up. Time management is a big part of having success in any field, and audition success is no different. I asked Tom what kind of time commitment each day devoted to his audition prep. I also asked him how he chooses to organize what he works on after he records the whole list to dig a little deeper into his organization. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, I mean, the good thing about running the, the list is that you do play everything. And if it's like especially long, I would say if it's an hour of music, break it into two groups. If it's an hour and a half of music, break it into three groups and rotate it in a way so that, you know, every day has an individual list, I, I guess, but that every excerpt gets touched in that mock audition and you don't leave anything behind. 
And if you're doing mock auditions where people get to choose for you, you know, let them do that. And then the next mock audition group lets them choose from the remaining excerpts and then go about it that way. So, yeah, essentially, like, I I listen back to my recordings and if something didn't go well or, or especially, I mean, I'll definitely work on the C excerpts until they're not C excerpts and, and then by priority, the B excerpts until everything A excerpts. But then again, there's things about certain A excerpts that if I don't do the sort of maintenance practicing and maintenance read making, those excerpts just aren't going to work or they'll start to slip. So I'll give that the amount of attention it needs. So ideally, I want to practice, study, and read make every day for four to six hours, ideally. And that's, that's a huge time commitment, obviously, and you have to give up a lot to do that. But it's it's essential, and it's essential that you leave also other parts of your day free to do things that are not completely concentrated on this audition effort, like things that you enjoy, whether it be exercise or meditation or cooking, whatever, you know, just something to unplug from all of that. Yeah, you just want to be as well-rounded and thoughtful about the process. And, you know, I haven't had one exact way of doing this and creating lists and but I just try to always stay aware of what needs to be addressed and keep lists and organization in, in a matter that allows me to do that. Yeah. For better or worse, depending on everything going on in, in my life at that time. I made a comment here that it sounds like his approach allows for some flexibility. It is my belief that any good plan should have an amount of flexibility built into it. Life happens, and we need to find a way to ensure that we can develop a system that allows us to be efficient and go straight to tackling the weaknesses we have in order to maximize the time we have to prepare on any given day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's like the kind of teachers that don't teach, in, you know, by one method. They teach by what the student needs. That's, that's the kind of teachers I've always had or always benefited from the most and they taught me to teach myself, and that's my method. I mean, there's there's just really no one way to do it. And I mean, the more organized you can be, the better you can be at keeping lists and like keeping track of your recordings and having a system to do that. I mean, I could tell you systems I've tried and that have worked better and worked worse. But the the more efficient you can be with those methods and analyze them in an objective way, whether they're creating these many successes for you. That's kind of my method. Tom mentioned that he devotes an amount of time preparing for an audition towards study. For me, score study is the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of study, so I asked him if he studies scores during his preparation. I followed up by asking him what else study might mean for him, and how much time does he allot toward that part of his learning? Yeah, I'd say study gets about a third of the effort. I mean, it's going to change day to day based on the needs. But, you know, study is like everything from listening to the excerpts you've recorded to looking into scores to listening to recordings of the pieces from that the excerpts are in or listening to excerpt CDs of other bassoon players or of opera singers or other instrumentalists, you know, playing 
beautiful phrases that you want to learn how to emulate or that are somehow relevant to these excerpts you're studying. And you can source that information and from all the teachers you've had, influences, and things that you've learned about music on the way, about what is your method of study going to be. So, yeah, I'll certainly be listening back to my recordings. That That's going to happen every day. Towards the beginning, if I don't have familiarity with a certain excerpt, I'll be looking into the score um, to start off and, and listening to recordings and saying, oh, well, that's the part that the bassoon plays with the clarinet in unison for about four bars. I, I might not want to add vibrato to that because the clarinet players don't use vibrato or, you know, that part of uh, that bassoon excerpt that is marked pianissimo actually is played almost mezzo forte in every recording that I just heard. Um, right. And that's because the orchestration is this. So, you know, maybe I want to play that mezzo piano dolce just so it doesn't, like, sound completely different to how the 10 people on this panel that have been playing it for the last 20 years have heard it every time. Yeah. But, you know, it's still staying true to what's actually marked on my part. So if somebody doesn't know that excerpt and they're sitting on a panel and less informed about a piece, perhaps, you know, they say, well, that's pianissimo. Why do you just play mezzo something? So you want to be able to make all those considerations as far in advance and have like a really grounded opinion about why it is what you're doing and, and making the kind of decisions and how you're going to play the excerpts in your vision in a way that's not going to offend but be special. And that's a really hard thing to do. Here I relayed a story to Tom about my experiences in grad school when I was studying with Barbara Butler. When I was working with her, I had a great deal of confidence in my abilities and interpretations, but when I got out on my own, I found myself with much less of that confidence than I had before. I commented on how I have learned that the process Tom just described is what each of us needs to do to build our own confidence and authority in our interpretations to be totally prepared for an audition. And I think that approaching excerpts with that kind of effort, that kind of sentiment into the music making, if there's something technical about that that was difficult at first, it's going to be a lot easier as you when you approach it musically and approach it from a place of, like, you believe in the way you're doing something. All right. The time has come to talk about reed making. <laughs> The more I talk to and the more I learn from woodwind players about making and maintaining good reeds, the more I am glad I picked a brass instrument. <laughs> I asked Tom about his reed making process so I can continue to learn, but also so hopefully the woodwind players listening to this might get something out of it too. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge discussion and you can check out Double Reed Dish if you want your head to spin off and, and, and hear all about people's reed woes and, and methods. Um, there's certainly, and I check that out all the time just to think about things in a new way. Um, but yeah, so most of us double reed players and bassoon players, especially do make our own reeds, especially in the United States, uh, bassoon players that is, and I've been doing so for 20 years. I wouldn't imagine going to any professional audition without having at least five good reeds that I feel like I could play this audition on. That's just a minimum. For Dallas, I made around 50 reads during the, the six weeks leading up to the audition. Um, and I started those blanks, obviously, way before that. And the blanks are the, the part of the read before you cut the tip open for those who don't know what I'm talking about. 
and we typically make those as bassoon players two or three months minimum in advance before we can even cut them open and begin this process of making them into reads. So having like, you know, just an assembly line of blanks ready to go at all times is if you're being a read maker and making the read for your audition, just having that assembly line constantly going so that you have as many options as possible um, is just so important. I definitely upped the amount of reads I was making this last year, and I think that had a tremendous effect on my audition success. To me, it's pretty mind-blowing to realize that making reads can be more time-consuming than actually practicing the excerpts for an audition. I made mention of that to Tom, and this was his reply. So, yeah, since I've, since I've been in Dallas, I've actually found um, a read maker, <laughs> and they're very good reads. So I, I haven't been making as many reads, and I've needed more time to, to practice and play my parts, and and that's been lovely, but... I'm still making some reads because you can't depend on always having access to a read maker. And even if you do, liking those reads is, is rare, but I'm, I feel very fortunate. But um, getting ready for that audition, yeah, I made about 50 reads, and I had about 10 reads that I felt comfortable playing on throughout the three rounds of auditions in a two-week period. And the reason I think it's important that you have that many reads working is because I was in the Pacific Northwest playing and freelancing with all of these said reads, getting ready for said audition, and then flew to a different, completely different climate that was dry and had thunderstorms coming through. And the reads were very different as soon as I landed. And I got in two days prior so that I had time to work on the reads and get ready for the audition and feel comfortable that the two that I had picked out that morning for the audition were going to be able to get me through. Listening to the way Tom prepared for this audition shows me how intense it is for double read players and read players in general to prepare for an audition. Not only do they have the same challenges that other instrumentalists face in terms of learning to play with good time, good pitch, good tone, and good style... But they also face how one bad read can negate all of that hard work. I was mentioning to Tom the kind of sacrifice it sounds like it takes to prepare for an audition, and this is how he responded. It's insanity. I mean, it, you know, I, whenever I, I do teach and uh, where I'm teaching somebody more advanced that, that really wants to, you know, go into classical music, I, I look at them very seriously and sometimes sternly and say, if you can imagine doing something else, you really should do it because the time commitment and the sacrifice and all of that, it's, it's a lot. And it's going to, you know, and it's very hard, even if you do sacrifice all of that to guarantee that you're going to be successful. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a labor of love and, you know, if you love it that much and you can't imagine doing anything else, then you, you absolutely have to do it. And like I said, I took 60 auditions. I was absolutely determined and still am. You know, that's just how it is. As with every audition episode, I wanted to get Tom's take on being mentally prepared for an audition. Tom has taken over 60 auditions, so he's had numerous chances to learn what works and what doesn't work for him to be mentally strong during the audition process and the audition itself. I asked Tom, how do you prepare mentally for the audition? 
Well, I've definitely, certainly, I've had a plethora of audition experiences, um, many positive, many more negative, <laughs> but they were all learning experiences for sure, um, and I tried to treat them that way, and and I also had my, my teacher, Trish Rogers, um, from my undergrad, who was principal bassoon of the Met for many years, she, like, when I was getting ready for my very first audition, you know, I asked her, you know, I don't feel like this is something that I could definitely win, you know, but is this good to take for the experience? And and she said, you know, every audition you take, you should go in with the mindset of, I can win this. I, I deserve to be here. I deserve to do this and treat your preparation with that sentiment. And I know people have different points of view about that, but that's just, that was her opinion and that she influenced that on me, and I, I went with it, and I've, I've always had that ad, attitude. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's benefited me in the long run. experiences can be our best teachers. Although these experiences can be painful, they can cut right to the core of what weaknesses we had and where we can improve. I asked Tom if he's had any bad experiences through his audition journey and what lessons he might have learned from them. Here's what he said. Well, just with um, biting off more than you can chew, I definitely um, learned that a few times. Like I would, I would see like three awesome auditions all happening the same month. And I would be like, well, I'd, I would like to work in any of those places. So I'd go take all of those auditions. And um, that didn't always work out for me. I mean, obviously. So, you know, having the sense of responsibility to decide in, in advance, like, you know, well, I could take one of those and schedule my time in a more effective way and have a, a much bigger shot at winning if I'm responsible that way. I mentioned here that it has got to be hard to balance both a full-time freelancing career and a serious audition prep at the same time. He gave some great advice for that. It is hard. Like you're out of school a few years and you're trying to freelance to make a living, do other things to make a living. And that's what I've been doing, especially the last few years um, after New World, always kind of being on my toes and grabbing what I can, when I can, and the time I can to get ready for auditions on top of all of that. But, you know, the, the more that you can plan out in advance before you go to these auditions, like where you're going to stay, what kind of environment works for you, what kind of access to food you need to have, you know, the more that you can be thoughtful about that in advance, the better, because if you get there and you're scrambling to get all these logistical things done and you're thinking about that instead of staying calm and getting ready for the audition, that, that stuff is only going to get in your way. Maybe it might distract you from being a, a little bit, you know, any kind of nerves that might come into your audition, but ultimately you're going to be a little frazzled from anything like that. Also, I have in the past probably second half of my audition career 
taken beta blockers for everything, so five years plus. I started to notice um, about halfway through, as I said, taking all these auditions that my hands would sometimes shake on the stage or my heart rate would get up and it would affect my breathing and I would do something just completely weird that I'd never done before. And finding the right dosage of beta blocker for me just eliminated that issue. That being said, I had to find the right dosage because there were certainly auditions that I took where I felt like I took too much beta blocker. So for me, it's um, 10 milligrams about 40 minutes before the first round and then another five milligrams before each additional round if they're in the same day. I'm really glad Tom opened up about his beta blocker usage. I'm finding more and more that people who are able to experience success in auditions have used or do use beta blocker as a tool to help manage nerves. I myself have felt in the past that I should be able to be successful without them, but I'm now coming around to believing that they can be useful in the right context. Here is Tom's response. Yeah, I, I think we do need to be open about it, and we need to also recognize that it doesn't work the same way for everybody. I mean, somebody drinks a, a glass of wine, and it's going to affect them differently to based on who that person is and what their you know, physical reaction is to it. I mean, it's just that's just how it is, it's going to be. So being in tune with how you work and, and how these things might be able to help you in the audition, I don't think it's a bad thing. We spend a lot of time and effort and money to take an audition. I mean, I, I average probably around $500 in audition. 60 of those do the math. Right, right, yeah. As we were closing out the interview, Tom mentioned one last thing that he felt was very, very helpful for his audition prep that he forgot to mention earlier. Something that I started doing more recently, and, and it was helpful, which was actually like the practice of meditation and mindfulness specifically. And there's like, there's so much online that you can grab a hold of and bring that into a daily routine. If you've had any kind of nerves or anxiety around auditions, just Focusing on those feelings and that kind of atmosphere and practice can be extremely helpful in ridding you of those anxieties. Taking auditions for professional ensembles is difficult and exhausting. Just ask Tom, who has put himself out there over 60 times. As you heard him say, there's an element of insanity to this process, but he also says for him, it's definitely a labor of love. Tom's perseverance led him to winning a job in one of the nation's best orchestras, and I'm sure his dedication to the process over the last 10 years is a big reason why. I think that's going to be all for this episode. I would like to thank Tom Fleming for giving me his time and sharing his wisdom with all of us so we can learn and grow as musicians. If you enjoyed this episode or others on the podcast, be sure to leave a rating and a review on iTunes as it helps a lot. Sharing on social media is another great way to help out, so be sure to do that as well. I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. <laughs>